first or second time guests with us or watching us on watching online uh, we're really glad that you're with us uh, today we are ending our Christmas series uh, unless God gives me something to add over Christmas uh, remember again that we will not be having a, a Sunday service next Sunday we will be meeting January 1st um, and we all will be sober right because we're not going to be out on Saturday getting drunk uh, that is a sin and so we will be here we will be sober and uh, we will lean into God's word on that day as well. We are going to do our New Year's, Eve, New Year's Day, New Year's celebration service the following week. Uh, and you're not going to want to miss that. We tear all the chairs down. We put food in here. There's no sermon. Uh, don't anybody say amen to that. Uh, there will be no sermon. And we just share testimonies of what God did in our lives in 2022. So it is one of our best services out of the year. So powerful. So you want to be there for that. Uh, but our main service will be Christmas Eve, and I hope you can attend that. So as I said, today is our last sermon in this series based on the book, Not a Fan, by Kyle Eidelman. Uh, I hope it wrecked you as much as it did me. This is the second time some of us have gone through this uh, in a lot of ways and in a lot of areas of our lives. I really hope that just wrecked you. Uh, I really felt led to do this because of all the new believers that we have. So I hope you all leaned into this. Now, I am going to do a long review of the entire series before we get into a really short part of today's message because I really want this series to stick in your soul. And if you missed any of these parts, I did put them in your notes with great big blocks of blank so that you can fill in anything that you didn't write down earlier or if you missed them, you can fight that, uh, write down real quick some of my comments. Um, so if you hate reviews, sorry, this was not the Sunday you should have come. Um, because I, the, I think this is one of the most powerful series we've ever done. And so I just want to go back through it and then, and then close out with another question. So in lesson one, we posed the question, are you a fan or follower? We started out this series by saying that a follower examines or defines the relationship they have with Jesus on a regular basis. They have a DTR, define the relationship, asking daily, where do I stand with you, Jesus? How are we? Is there, I think David said, is there any wicked way in me that needs to come to the surface so I can deal with it, right? A fan is really not worried about where they stand with Jesus, of course, until they have trouble in their lives. Or sometimes they wait until they're standing in front of Jesus. And they go, holy crap, he's real. And now I don't know if I've made it or not. Christians don't have to stand in front of Jesus with that in their head. They're just going to be in awe. They're going to be like, it's, it's true. And I don't know about you, but I just can't wait to hug the guy. I, I cannot wait to hug him. We said that no one just prances into heaven. In other words, you can't live on the fence here and just expect to walk through the gate there. And there was complete silence in the room because nobody likes those kind of statements. You can't live any old way you want on earth and just expect to prance in. The rabbi Jesus has offered you an invitation to be a student of him. He has actually invited you into a relationship with him where he will teach you your purpose and your destiny that will re reap heavenly rewards so that you never have to worry about where you are going when you die. And when someone doesn't have to worry about where they're going to die, let me tell you, they also don't have to worry about what happens to them on this earth while they're here. 
If I'm not worried about where I'm going, I don't care what happens to me here. They can have true peace. Another shameless plug for our word of the year. They don't live to please man. They live to please God, right? We pose the question, why are you here? Why are you at church? Why are you a Christian? Why are you here? Are you here for the show? Or are you here for a deeper relationship with Jesus? Jesus is asking you, why are you in a relationship with me? You have to answer that. Are you absolutely loyal and committed to me? Do you trust me with your finances? Do you trust me with your career, your health, your marriage, and your children? Because fans don't trust me. So they take matters into their own hands and they end up creating more chaos in their lives. You need to know today. You need to know. Coming to church is not enough. Doing good things for others is not enough. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. A lot of people disagree with that statement, but the Bible's very clear. Your works are not what get you there. Being in ministry is not enough. I believe there are pastors that are going to get there and he's going to go, I don't know who you are. What about all that I did? I, I, you didn't have a relationship with me. You had a relationship with yourself. Right? Going to work and raising a family, we know that's not enough. Jesus wants, the first lesson was all about how Jesus wants a deep, intimate relationship with little old you. Because when you have that, you don't, you're not little anymore. <laughs> right? You are powerful. God says, I want all of you, and I won't settle for anything less. So if you don't know how to do that, there are people here that would love to disciple you and walk with you to show, show you how. And even if they don't want to disciple you, I'll just tell them they have to. So, right? And we do that with the help of the Holy Spirit. Right, tribe? Lesson two, we pose the question, who qualifies to be a follower? Who qualifies to anyone Jesus came to get rid of the high standards, right? The high standards, qualifications for becoming a follower of Christ. And when you get rid of the qualifications that you have to be perfect in order to follow him, that means there are no excuses for not following him. That means it doesn't matter what your past was, and it doesn't matter what your present condition is, and it also doesn't matter what you're going to do in the future. You qualify to be a follower of Christ. And as we've learned last week with the woman who was thrown at Jesus' feet or two weeks ago, that doesn't mean that you just keep on sinning. You must leave your life of sin. But if you are a sinner right now, you're the one he died for. So you qualify to come into his family. Lesson number three, we talked about embracing intimacy with God. We talked about how we don't want to be like Simon the Pharisee who only wanted to know more about Jesus in his head but that we want to be like the known sinner who barged into the room and threw herself at his feet. You had an invitation today to throw yourself at the altar because when there's a specific word that something special is going to happen at the altar, I don't know how you stayed in your seats today. Some of you disobeyed what God wanted you to do because you did not barge up front and throw yourself at his feet. Don't feel guilty about that. Just say, lesson learned. Next time I'll obey. And I'll give you a chance to do that at the end so you can, not that you have to make it up. And you're not making it up to us. But next time, obey. Some of you were urged. I felt it. And you disobeyed because you were afraid of what people think.
Lesson three. Or no, we're already there. Um, this lady wanted to what? No, how did she want to know Jesus? Do you remember the Greek word? Yada know Jesus. She wanted to yada know Jesus, to have an intimate relationship with Jesus on every level. That our relationship has to be more than a weekend fling at church on Sunday. That Jesus is not interested in dating you. He wants to marry you. Right? We said that fans walk around talking about God. Followers walk around living for God. We said that fans try to impress you with how many scriptures they can recite. Why followers just live the scripture. Did you hear that? Followers walk around living for God. Followers live out scripture. We have to stop worrying about what our family and friends think of us and be God chasers and Jesus freaks and constantly work on maintaining our relationship with Jesus. And that's what I'm not going to lie to you about. And I'm not going to candy coat this. It takes work. Reading, praying, fasting, worshiping, doing what is good and pleasing to God. Seeking healing for our wounded hearts, which is really hard sometimes. All throughout our days and nights, that's what we're supposed to be doing. It takes work. It's about being willing to lean into the hard, leaning into the pain, leaning into the unknown, and leaning into the uncomfortable things that we experience in this life. That was our Easter series. Listen, without losing our hope, now this is the advent, without losing our hope, without losing our joy, without losing our love, and without losing our peace. We are supposed to be unshakable people. The things of the earth are not supposed to shake us. We're supposed to see them as a challenge, and we're supposed to go at them with a sword and a shield and a helmet and shoes of peace, breastplate of righteousness. Come on, the armor of God. Because those are the things that the enemy's after, your love, joy, peace, and hope. That's what he's trying to steal from you. The main point of lesson three was this. Jesus wants to call you his friend. So begin to talk to him that way. Every day, just have a constant, normal conversation with him. Well, I don't know how to pray. Just talk to him in your Duboyan language. You know, some of you are going to use curse words until God gets them out of your life. You're going to use curse words. I don't care if I'm uncomfortable with that. That's where you're at. And he's okay with it. He's, you're not going to shake him. You're not going to rattle him with some swear words. Now, eventually, he's going to tell you to stop talking like that because the Bible's very clear. Curse words are not okay. Christians are making them okay, but they're not okay. Even in private, the Bible's very clear. They're not okay. It actually, I believe it says it brings death to you. Just have a normal conversation with him. Sometimes out loud, most of the time in your heart, or you're going to end up with a straitjacket on you. If you start doing this in Martins or at some people's homes, they're going to 301 you, or what is it called? 302, 302 you. <laughs> so be careful. I'm not telling you to be quiet about what you're, what you're excited about, but just be ready. If you start shouting in Martins, don't blame me. Num- lesson number four, we talked about what it means to take up your cross daily. That we have to be careful not to choose our own comfortable version of Jesus. In other words, deciding what we like about the Bible and following that, but getting rid of the parts that we don't like. And living a life with no morals, no values, no discipline, and no sacrifice. We have to be all in. Instead of using our, your weaknesses as an excuse of why you're not following him, listen closely, because this is where the enemy shuts your voice down. 
This is where he hides your powerful story. This is where he shames you into hiding your story. Let me repeat that. This is where he shames you into hiding your story. Because you're afraid that if you expose what you did, people won't accept you. You're more worried about people than you are what God wants to do with your story. So I want us to repeat this after me after I say it. We need to use and leverage our weaknesses to show off his strength. Ready? We need to use and leverage our weaknesses to show off his strength. We are so ashamed of what we did in the past that we never get to a healthy place enough to brag about what God did in us and for us. We let shame keep us from sharing our story. And I'm just telling you today, I really felt this strongly in my office on Friday or Thursday. This is the day that some of you are going to start releasing your story. The dirty details. What do you have to be ashamed about? You've been redeemed. Your story has been redeemed. There's no shame. So begin to tell your story. Redeem it from embarrassment and shame to confidence in glory and life. When we acknowledge or admit our weaknesses, that's when we put ourselves in a position to receive his strength. Because a fan pretends that everything is okay. A, a fan keeps secrets. A fan disguises his weaknesses so a fan never sees breakthrough. A fan never sees the supernatural power, powerful uh, power of God in their lives. Never. We said that taking up your cross doesn't mean an earthly burden that you're carrying. Well, this cancer is just my cross. No, it's not. No, it's not. This bad relationship is just the cross that I have to carry. No, it's not. This thankless job, physical illness, what it is about, it's about dying to yourself in order to follow Jesus. It's about being willing to lay down your wants and desires and choosing his will and desires for your life. That's what it means to carry your cross. In lesson five, we asked the question, the last one we did, what's with all the rules? That being a Christian is not supposed to be about the don't do's, but about the get to's. Some of you are listening. God has given us commands that he wants us to obey. They are guardrails for us. But we can't live every day trying to follow the rules perfectly because you can't. I've tried. You can't do it. We don't follow God's commands to impress him or anybody in the church. And you don't work your way to heaven, as we said earlier. We obey him because we want to please him, right? We obey him because we love him. And you can't be in love with someone you don't know. You have to yada know him, right? Too many of us are stuck. We're beating ourselves up because we made a mistake 10 years ago. And we've forgotten that Jesus died for that mistake. He covered it with his blood so that you can move on, learn from it, don't do it again, but be healed and forgiven. You need to accept that this morning and thank him every day for the grace that he's provided for when we mess up, right? For today, I want to I end this series with another question, and it is this, and you've already seen it, but it's the key word in yellow. Is he enough for you? Some of you right away will amen that, but honestly, there's areas of your life where he's not, and you're still controlling your finances. You just work a little bit more instead of trusting him to provide, because he's actually told you not to take on more to sacrifice time with family. So be careful when you amen, amen something really quick because you might want to wait till the end of the sermon and search your heart. 
Is he actually enough? Do I actually believe that? So I think we, we have to ponder this question, especially heading into a season where we celebrate his birth. I mean, you could really ask the question, what do you really celebrate Christmas for? Is it gifts? Is it food? Is it your family? How much time during Christmas do we really celebrate the reason for his birth? I'm, I'm telling you, if there was a scale in the room on every one of your hearts, and I would be just as guilty, I'm, I'm telling you, my family, none of them live here. They all ran because they don't like me, but they're coming back for Christmas for their mother. And so I'm, family is big to me. I, I can't wait to be with my children and my grandchildren. And on a scale, I think my scale would probably be tipped, and I probably now, because of them all being adults and moving away, right, Amy? I mean, they're all living with you now, so you don't have a problem. Your scale is more about... How much do we actually spend and focus on the actual reason for this season? Otherwise, it is just a man-made holiday that Christians are blowing. Even if someone created it for evil intentions, I always leverage Christmas and Easter for his glory. So I'm asking myself this. I'm not just yelling at you. What do I really celebrate Christmas for? Do you realize that he was born to die? Same as us, die to ourselves. Do we celebrate the fact that he was born so that you could have eternal life? So that you don't have to beat yourself up for your mistakes, so that you can have true freedom? This hopefully will change your prayers on Christmas Day. In your notes, freedom isn't just so that we can worship him without being arrested. That's not what freedom is about. Freedom in Christ is so that we don't have to worry or fear about anything. Everybody say anything anything that happens to us in this life that's what freedom really is freedom is not just that we can worship and not be arrested freedom really is even if they arrest me what do i have to worry i have a whole jail to minister to i take jesus wherever i go what if somebody stormed in here right now and shot your pastor in the head i hope you start going oh man he got to get there before me You can be sad for a little bit, those of you who actually like me, but don't be sad long, because I won't be sad about that. I'll be with Jesus. I didn't hear it, and I didn't want to know. I don't want to know. In case you forgot, this life isn't what we are living for. Some of you are convinced this is heaven. That's why you're out there trying to get sexual pleasure from everybody, because you think that is bliss. Oh, you have no idea what bliss is in heaven if you think uh, we can fling with somebody is bliss. Some of us are worried right now about Christmas because of our finances. We're afraid that this Christmas won't be special for our kids. We want to give them everything that we didn't get, right? So we go all out making sure that they understand you will get everything I didn't get. Christmas becomes about the best presents because we're only worried about our kids liking us. And yet we say to everyone and we post on Facebook that Jesus is the reason for the season. Is he? Is he really enough for you? Or do you need more? Do you need more money? Do you need more work, more time, more love for humans, more fun, more sex, more alcohol, more, 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 more of everything but Jesus? Remember, we started this series by going to a scene in John chapter 6. If you want to go there, we're going to go over some stuff we didn't talk about. 
I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. We're going to go quickly through. We're not going to like dissect every verse. John chapter 6, page 1055 in the Black Bibles in front of you if you didn't have a Bible. 1055, John chapter 6, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, New Testament. This is where the Bible records about 5,000 people who were what? Hungry, like physically hungry. You know, that was actually just the men that they counted, so it was probably more like 15,000. And one of the disciples, Philip, told Jesus that even if we had eight months of wages, Jesus, it couldn't be enough to buy, it's not enough to buy bread so that everyone could have one bite. From Philip's eyes, the fact that these people were hungry was not their problem. And even if it was, there's nothing we can do about it. But someone else had another perspective. It was Andrew. Andrew started scanning the crowd looking for a solution to the problem. And he found a boy with five loaves of bread and two small fish. So what did he do? So he was the, he was the positive penny, not the negative Nelly. And the positive penny said, you know what? This isn't a lot, but I, I know him, and I've seen him do some things with little. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to want to see if this will help. So he took the boy to Jesus. Think about this in your notes. Did Andrew take this small lunch to Jesus with a sense of expectation? With a sense of expectation of what Jesus might do with this little lunch. That's a whole nother sermon. We need to live a life of expectation of what Jesus can do through us and through the little. I'm just going to let that sink into your soul for a minute. Well, here's my small, insignificant life, Lord. I can't wait to see what you do next with it. Here's this cancer, Lord. I can't wait to see what you do with it. Here's my financial situation, Lord. I cannot wait to see what you're going to do with it. This is what Andrew was doing. That is definitely a different outlook on a dismal situation. Would you agree? 15,000 people, and they have five loaves of bread and two small fishes. He basically is asking Jesus, is this enough? He asked Jesus in verse 9, how far will this go among so many, Jesus? That is a great question to ask your Savior when you're struggling. Here's my problem, Jesus. What will you do? Now, we have a role to play. We need to do our part, right? But the supernatural comes from Jesus. So if it's a financial issue, you need to look at where you're unwisely spending your money. I don't even know if that's a word, but where are you not being a good steward? Do your part. Trim, trim your cell phone bills, the things that you don't really need. Trim the bills that you don't need, and then watch him step in and do the supernatural. How far will you go, Jesus? I'm just wondering, do we even go to Jesus anymore? And Jesus didn't disappoint. He not only fed the crowd, there was food left over. 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 Okay, okay, come on, white people. There was food left over. But here's what we didn't cover in this story. After dinner, the crowd decides to camp out for the night so they can be with Jesus the next day. 
because they are committed fans. But the next morning they wake up and they're hungry again, ready for some Jesus breakfast. They look around for Jesus and their meal ticket is nowhere to be found. In the middle of the night, he got on a boat and went across the lake. So when they saw the boat gone, they figured out that Jesus and his disciples went to the other side. So instead of going home, you know, they all found a way and made it to the other side to be with Jesus, which is a whole nother sermon. It seems like they had nothing more important on their schedules than being with Jesus. So maybe they are more than just fans after all. By the time they meet up with Jesus, now they're starving. They missed breakfast and they want to know what's on the lunch menu. But Jesus has decided to shut down the all-you-can-eat buffet. He is not going to hand out more free samples. Same way we want Christianity and intimacy with God without any work included involved. It's the truth. He shut down the buffet and he's about to challenge them. You came for food. This is what I want you to come to me for. It's in verse 26 of John 6, page 1056 in your black Bibles. Verse 26, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you got full on food, earthly food. Do not work for food that spoils, for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So Jesus decides to define the relationship with this crowd. He knows that these people are not sacrificing because they want to follow him. They are following the food. They want a free handout. So how will they respond? And now listen, at this point in Scripture, we're we're guessing. What's the word? I'm I'm projecting a thought before we actually find out what the real, what the truth is. Okay? We think this is what they're thinking, okay? But we know if you read the rest of the story, it's exactly what they were thinking. He knows that the people are not sacrificing because they want to follow him. They're following the food, and we find out very quickly that he was right. How will they respond when the drive through window is closed? Well, Jesus doesn't offer them the food that they're looking for. He offers them what he's offering you and me. Jesus ends up offering himself as the food. But the question is, would that be enough for them? Is it enough for you? Is it enough for me? Verse 35 is where Jesus offers himself. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. First point I want to make about whether or not Jesus is enough for you is this. Number one in your notes. When Jesus is the only thing on the menu you truly find out if he's the one you were really hungry for. When Jesus is the only thing on the menu, you find out if he's the one you were really hungry for. I hope I can explain this. In other words, when there are no other options, that's when you find out if Jesus is enough. When there are no other options, that's when you find out when Jesus is enough. This is why when you make your wife an idol and she dies and you stop following Jesus, Jesus was not enough because all you were left with was him, and you said, nope, that's not enough, I want my wife back. So I'm done with this faith thing. I could tell you hundreds of stories. A daughter is diagnosed with cancer, parents get divorced, the addiction seems unbeatable, a future seems overwhelming, a relationship falls apart, there's a loss of a job. Something happens when life punches people in the stomach. When something doesn't go their way, suddenly religion is not enough. 
suddenly the spectacle, the fish and the loaves, the miracles, the Sunday service, it just doesn't cut it anymore because God let me down. Didn't give me what I wanted. So that must mean he is not enough for me. But it's actually in those moments when Jesus is the only thing on the menu that you actually find out he's exactly what you need if you lean into it. It's when Jesus becomes our only hope, right? And here in John 6, the crowd must decide if Jesus is enough. Are they hanging around for the perks or is it really about the relationship? Do you remember what happens? All the fans went home. Remember verse 66. We read this earlier in this series. From this time, what's the word? Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And in the long run, that's what will happen. Scripture tells us in Matthew 7 that wide is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. There are way too many fans. Don't be one of them. Be a follower. Whether we like it or not, most people are not going to accept Jesus' invitation to be a follower. And just because you come to church doesn't make you a follower. They like the idea of heaven. They like the miracles. They like the bread part. They like the free show. They like being around a lot of people. That's why some people come to church just to be around people. They like the excitement. But when Jesus wipes all of that off the table, and I think that's why he went to the other side of the lake. I want to see one if people will pursue me. I don't, I'm, just, I'm totally adding my own thoughts to that story. Maybe he, was, maybe he just needed time alone with his father, and maybe he was looking to see if people would actually try to rent a boat, try to walk around the lake. I don't know, but it had to take a lot to get to him. Will they pursue me? And then when they get to me, and all the stuff on the other side of the lake is gone, and it's just me and a tree, will they accept me? And many of them didn't. When he wiped all of that off the table and offers himself, they're simply not interested. Because following Jesus seems to be too hard. What do you mean you're not going to feed us? Following Jesus seems too boring. Seems like too much commitment. Seems like too much focus on others and not me. Let's cover the part that we skipped last time. Verse 67. You do not want to leave too, do you? He's talking to his disciples. You don't want to leave. Do you want to leave too? We don't know how he, how he said this. Was he frustrated? Was he angry? My guess would be that he said it with immense disappointment and sadness after watching two-thirds of his crowd walk away. Because it became clear to him why so many people were following him. And even though he was God, it must have broken his heart. having a relationship with someone for months and months. You're having all of this fun together. You're buying gifts for them. You take them places. You start pouring your heart out to them. You want to go deeper with them emotionally, and all of a sudden, they split. And you just realize that they were just hanging around for the things that you were giving them. Wouldn't that break your heart? I can't imagine, or I can imagine, that this is how Jesus is feeling right now. So he asked his disciples, the men that he's grown close to, whether or not they're going to leave too. Would his most devoted disciples turn out to be just fans who weren't willing to stick around when his teaching got tough? 
Were they getting caught up in the spectacle of the crowds and their popularity? Would they abandon Jesus? So let's read about their response in verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where else would we go? Who else would we follow? At least somebody got it, that annoying Peter, who always had an opinion. And now his, you know, because, you know, with every personality, there's good qualities and bad qualities. This is Peter's good side. Where else would we go? The first one to speak up, the first one to walk out onto, a bo- onto the water. You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. All those other rabbis, all they are about are the rules and regulations of God. You are leading us to heaven. Where else would I go? Which brings up my second point in your notes. When you really know Jesus is Lord, you don't want to leave him. When you really know him, you will never leave him. Peter's answer sums it all up. To whom shall we go? Who could lead us like you could? Who could teach us with the wisdom like yours? Who could possibly bring us closer to God? Why would we ever want to leave the Messiah? Who else is worth following compared to you? How could we ever find someone like you? After experiencing you, and here's what's really big for you new Christians that are experiencing God for the first time, and some of you old Christians. After experiencing you, Jesus, what is there to go back to? Drugs and alcohol? Why would I ever want to go back, back to my life of chaos and unrest and addiction and destruction? That's what Peter's really saying. I don't want to go back to just be a fisherman. I want to change the world with you. I love fishing, but it didn't bring me as much joy as working with you with people. That's another sermon. A lot of little mini sermons in here. But you know what in your notes? Fans bail on Jesus when his teaching gets difficult. When he asks them to sacrifice. When he asks them to take up their cross. When he asks them to die to themselves and stop worrying about food and just listen to my teaching and take that in as your food. When he speaks truth from his word and they don't agree with it, fans take off. Do you know why they take off? Because fans are not convinced that they are guaranteed a ticket to heaven. They are not convinced that following Jesus leads to an eternity of bliss and worship and joy and in the presence of the Lord. If they were convinced, they would stick with them. Right? Wouldn't you agree? If, we, if they knew what heaven was like, they would stick with them. If we knew with every ounce of our being and we believed that following Jesus would pay off in the end, then we would have an easier time accepting and swallowing the tough, tougher parts of Scripture. What about God's teaching on sexuality and money? Do we accept it do, or do we try to change it? Do we come up with our own version of it? Because you know why we come up with our own version? Because it makes us feel more comfortable. My third point is the problem with this. Number three, this is a little hard to understand. I hope I can explain it. We don't know the way we wish we knew. We don't know the way we wish we knew. So we don't believe the way we should believe. The first part of that is tough to face. We wish we could have it all laid out. We wish God would write it in the sky for us. We wish that he would give us a vision or speak audibly to us or at least, for crying out loud, send me an angel. Give us proof or a sign that you are real, you are alive, you are in charge, and that Jesus is your son. But life is not like that, is it? And it wasn't like that for the disciples either. Sure, they were able to witness the miracles, but eventually they had to choose to know and believe 
that Jesus was the Messiah. In your notes, choosing to know and believe in Jesus is a choice you have to make. You have to make that choice. Everything hinges on it. Just like the disciples here in John 6, because if we would believe with the same fire and passion that the disciples had, our lives would look completely different. And I don't know about you, but I want my life to look like theirs did in the end. How about you? Do you want to have that kind, the kind of impact on earth that they had, that they did? Well, then, in the end, it comes down to whether Jesus is enough for you. And it comes down to whether or not you will choose to be a fan or a follower. Hebrews 9.27 says, Man is destined to die once, and after that to face the judgment. Those are the two guarantees. We will all die and we will all stand before God. When that moment comes to all of us, there's only one question that will really matter, is have you decided to follow Jesus? If I could, I would ask you that question differently because it's very personal. I wish I could come over to your house and knock on your door. Hopefully I could talk you into letting me come in and sit down for a few minutes. And I would want to sit across the kitchen table from you and look you in the eye and ask you this question. I know that when you hear me ask, have you decided to follow Jesus, many of you quickly nod your head yes and say, yeah, I'm a follower. But why do you say that? Because I'm not asking if your parents were followers. I'm not asking if you've prayed a prayer. I'm not asking if you say grace before meals or if you come to church. I'm not even asking if you believe in Jesus. I am asking, are you a follower of Jesus? Because one day there are many who say, I am a follower that will stand before God and be declared fans. Last point I want to make today, and this is everything, folks. Number four in your notes. We don't know the day, but we know his name. That statement is more than enough. It's true. We don't know the day Christ will return. We don't know when our health may fail. We don't know when our finances may dry up or even when we'll die. And we never will. But even though we don't know the day, we know his name. And I know that no one in this room today wants to get to judgment day just to have Jesus to say to you, you were just a fan. And you need to know, we don't always get what we want here in this life. There are no guarantees in this life, but Jesus does offer a guarantee. If you put your trust in him, he will never fail you. He guarantees. Go ahead, Richard. That if you stake your life on his message of truth, he will stake his life on your eternity in heaven. If you put your trust and hope in him, he will guide you right into eternity with God the Father. We don't know the day, but we know his name. And the scripture tells us in Acts 4, by his name alone, men are saved. His name is powerful. But you have to decide, am I a fan or follower of Jesus? Because all the guarantees are for the followers who refuse to leave his side. Let me repeat that. 
All the promises and guarantees that God offers are for followers who refuse to leave his side no matter what happens to them on planet Earth. Followers who continually to ask this question from John 6 again, Lord, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come, excuse me, everybody read 69 with me. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Let's stand. Worship team, come. I want to end this series with a song. But before we do that, I want us to search our hearts and make a decision as we consider today's question again. Worship team, I want you to listen and, and consider with us. And you can even close your eyes once you get to your, your place. Everybody just close your eyes and focus on your heart. And if you're struggling with distraction, put your hand on your heart so you can focus. What we put our hands to, we pay attention to, Dr. Shelley teaches us. And just as I talk, I just want you to think, is Jesus enough for me? Now, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if this is, this is in the area of your children, your finances, but you need to answer the question. And I, I'm, this is what I'm convinced of, because I know some of your stories, and I know there's some of you who literally have a negative balance in your, check, in your bank account right now. You need to seriously say, is Jesus enough for me? And this is what I believe. If you can say yes before you leave here, if you can say yes in your hearts, you're actually going to see breakthrough right away. I'm, I'm prophesying this right away. You're going to start seeing breakthrough. I don't know what it is. What is it? So maybe you're here today in person or watching online and you've never began a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've tried everything the world has to offer and you're just worn out because you still have no peace inside of you. How about just starting there by trying Jesus for once? Just talk to him. Ask him to forgive you of your past sins. Tell him that you want to make him Lord and master of your life. And then once you do that, thank him for inviting you into his family. And then we as a church can help you understand what all of that means um, now that you began that relationship. Most people will say, well, wait a minute, I have to fix this one thing first. No, you don't. No, you don't. Let me ask you do, you, do you take a bath to get clean before you get into the shower? No, that would be ridiculous. Just come to Jesus as you are and let him and the Holy Spirit clean you up. I promise you, you will experience such a pure peace that you will struggle to explain it to your friends because... Jesus is enough. Maybe you're here today or watching online and you've fallen away from God. Jesus was enough for you at once. And he, he just wants you to return so that he can remind you that he's still enough for you. Walk away from your sin. Learn to trust that Jesus is enough for you and allow him to guide you back into peace. Maybe you come to church, you're a faithful church attender, but you haven't felt lately like Jesus is enough. And your heart has been growing cold towards him. Maybe you've been thinking about quitting church. Jesus is inviting you, listen, to turn up the heat in your relationship. It doesn't matter whether you stay here or not, but you need to turn the heat up. And how do you do that? And I hope marriage people are listening. Go back. What was it that you were doing that made that relationship passion? That passion hot. What was it that you were doing when the passion was hot? Start doing those things again. Maybe you're here today and you consider yourself a mature believer. As you listen today, I want you to just ask, what was the area of your heart that the Holy Spirit pointed out to you where Jesus is still not enough for you? Is it your future? Is it your career? Is it your spouse? Is it a future spouse that hasn't showed up yet? 
Is it your finances once again? Is it your lost children? Did he point out a wounded place in your heart? Someone you haven't forgiven, someone you, who have abused you, who has abused you or abandoned you. The question today for you and all of us is simply, if we turn those things over to him, do we believe that Jesus is enough? Is he powerful enough to bring hope to your doubts and unbelief? Is he powerful enough to bring healing to the wounded places? Is he powerful enough to bring purpose to your current, boring, uncertain, meaningless life? Is he powerful enough to bring peace to your chaotic, out-of-control, unsettled life? Is he powerful enough to bring freedom to your addictions and the bondage of anger and unforgiveness? Well, if you get connected to him, the message today is you're going to find out he is enough. And if you grow intimate with him, if you go deeper with him, you're going to know You're going to yada know that he is enough. Open your eyes. I would just like to begin Christmas this week. Uh, They already let the song out of the bag, but this is my Christmas carol this year. So you're probably going to be mad at me if you're into the traditional Christmas carols. I believe this is this year for us. This is our modern Christmas carol. And I want to end this series by speaking Jesus into the atmosphere. I want us to sing this. You did really good the first time through. I want us to sing this like we've never sung before. Speak life and power through his name. You might think, well, my finances are good. My children are all following the Lord. I've got so much joy, Lord. I don't need this. Speak it for somebody else in the room that doesn't have the strength to speak it. I want us to speak the powerful name of Jesus over doubt and unbelief. That's in my notes before the intercessory team even spoke it. Over pain and sickness. Who needs that? Over chaos and unrest. Here's one. Over entitlement and comfort. I speak Jesus. Over darkness, over strongholds, over fear and anxiety, over depression for crying out loud. Speak Jesus. By speaking the name of Jesus, we are declaring peace. We are declaring hope. We are declaring healing. And we are declaring freedom. So I'm just going to invite you to come up front if you want. I don't, you can get on your face. You can get on your knees. You can just stand with your hands. You can just come and just stand. But once again, you all should be moving already. Don't disobey this time. I'm not trying to force you to come to make me look good. I'm telling you just to obey God if he's telling you to come. And you need to just say, Jesus, you are enough for me. Tell Jesus he's enough. And whatever that area is, you lay it down here at the altar and don't take it home with you. And say, I'm going to start believing in this area of my life. Jesus, you are enough. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from Dubois Light and Life Church. We hope you're blessed by it. To hear more messages or get more information about Light and Life Church, please visit DuboisFMC.org or check us out on Facebook.